I'm Reverend Harry Bridge. And I'm Dr. Scott Mitchell, and this is the Dharma Realm Podcast. And we're coming to you from the Kodo of the Jodo Shinshu Center in Berkeley, California. This is the Dharma Realm Podcast for September 7th, 2012, and today we're talking about Buddhism and commercialization. So uh, recently on Facebook, I um, saw a post of a picture of some shoes uh, that had a picture of Buddha on them, like on the, the part that goes over your toes, kind of. Uh, I think they were women's shoes, and um, apparently there were a lot of, uh, a lot of different kinds of comments. Um, and a lot of people were really upset. Um, you had to, I, did, I only looked at the comments of the person who shared the picture. It wasn't like the original post. Uh, and so in that person's comments, there was, um, it was mostly, I think, American Buddhists, it seemed like, um, commenting on it. But uh, the original picture apparently had a lot of really, really upset people, uh, and that many of these people were uh, possibly posting from Myanmar or um, other parts of Asia. And so uh, not only does this relate to um, the issues of um, feet in, in shoes <laughs> in Asian culture, which is something, I mean, it's interesting because one thing it yeah, points yeah. to is that different cultures have different ideas. Wow, what a concept, right? But Get out. We forget sometimes, right? Yeah. And um, uh, I think I've mentioned here before, you know, um, even in Japan, uh, the, um, the feet are um, looked at very differently uh, than here in the States. So, like, we wear our shoes indoors all the time. In Japan, it's unthinkable. Uh, and, you know, this idea that feet are impure uh, is very strong current, I think, in many Asian societies, um, much less, uh, uh, much more so than, than here in the United States. So uh, we may not understand uh, at first why it's so upsetting, because it's not upsetting to us, because we have different values, right? Uh, but then there's a whole other issue, too, of... Should Buddha image be on shoes? No. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, should Buddha image be used to sell anything? T-shirts? Right, right. Um, so, commercialization. That'd be modification. Cool. Lun- a Buddha lunchbox? Buddhism lunchbox. Would you would like cool. a Buddha lunchbox? Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm going gonna, 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 to market that. <laughs> I'm gonna go some like old school, you know, little tin melt, you know, yeah. lunch boxes. Maybe you know, Padma Sambhava could be on the, the little thermos inside. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> could do rainbow sherbet. In the cup. <laughs> We're dating ourselves a little bit here. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, this is uh, an interesting, an interesting topic um, that I've certainly done uh, my fair share of research on mm-hmm. of late, um, and I don't know how I feel about it. I think that. It's a real. I think it's a. I think it's a, an issue to really take seriously. What people alternately call the commercialization of Buddhism or the commodification of Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, it's not just these shoes, but you know, I've seen uh, Buddha images on T-shirts, on um, uh, uh, underwear, on all manner of kinds of things that you're like, mm, I'm not quite sure how I feel about that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not too long ago, there was a uh, a, a toilet bowl cleaner. 
that had like a Buddha on it or something. Really? Um, yeah. No, I think I it was like that. I think it was like the case that you put the, the cleaner into oh, was like I don't know. Anyway, okay. but it's like you know, so that's going to be on the floor next to your toilet. Like that's again issues of purity or uh, or or whatnot. And I think that there's I think that there's obviously something to be um, said about being culturally sensitive. I mean, you know, I, I you know you were saying that a lot of Asian countries um, have issues about um, have certain particular cultural customs regarding feet. Um, I, I, I'm willing to bet the majority of people around the world actually come from cultures that um, have these these cultural customs regarding feet. And so our sort of blundering ignorance of that in making products that you know. Uh, mix a sacred object with a profane object, I think is, um, you know, something to be aware of. Like why, like why try to make money off of something that is obviously going to offend, you know, half the population of the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's one issue, but then I think that what people, um, invariably do and, and some of the, the comments that we saw on Facebook, um, point to this is they'll say, well, you know, um, what would the Buddha say? Right. And you get into this sort of like, well, there's a difference between Buddhism, you know, like real Buddhism versus like cultural customs. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think that's deflecting from the original issue. Mm-hmm. Like why make a product that um, is culturally insensitive? Like, you know, we can talk about what the Buddha would do, even though we'll never be able to answer that question. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, again, like the real issue is why make a, a product that necessarily offends people? Mm-hmm. Why, why would you do that? Wait, wait, wait. Well, one would be out of ignorance. Yeah. So it was interesting. One of the comments, um, the person said they actually emailed the company that had put the original image out, and the person apparently wrote back from the company saying, "Thank you so much for your um, your comment. Was you know you educated me, and these are actually old shoes. We've taken the picture off. We don't even have them anymore. We've removed all the images, and um, but I really appreciate that I learned something from your comment as opposed to all the negative, even violent, mm-hmm. um, th- you know, comments threatening violence that I've been getting." Um, and so, I mean, that's one interesting thing with the response. It's like, if it makes you so angry, that's not necessarily a quote unquote Buddhist response either to, to be, I mean, be, being offended and upset is one thing, but to threaten violence against someone is maybe not the, <laughs> the, um, I don't know. It's an interesting response. Yeah. But it's also, those are comments on the internet. This yeah. is true too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like who yep. knows who these per- people are, who yep. are actually making those comments. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of speculation in the comment that you and I saw about, you know, this is uh, possibly from an Asian country or whatever. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, maybe, but I don't know. You know, I, yeah. you know, there's lots of variables there and I don't, I, I am going to tell a story though. One, okay. of my, one of my favorite stories. Okay. <laughs> uh, when I, early in my grad school career, um, I was in uh, San Francisco on, on, in the BART station. I was walking along and I saw a poster for Jamba Juice. And for our listeners who don't know, Jamba Juice is this company that makes fruit smoothies. Um, they're big here on the West Coast. I think they started somewhere um, here in California. Um, I'm not quite sure how national or, or international they are, but they're sort of like the, the Starbucks or fruit smoothie companies, you know, it's that sort of level of, of, of corporate food people. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had this new line of smoothies they were promoting this poster called um, Enlightened Smoothies. Oh, wow. Um, and the posters were Tibetan Tonka paintings. Mm. You know, those, those Tibetan paintings, oh, like wow. clearly distinguishable, like, you know, you know uh, celestial, you know, images and clouds and really brightly colored and, you know, all those kind of things. And usually in the Tibetan Tonka paintings, of course, the central image in those paintings is a, a deity or a bodhisattva or a Buddha. But in the Jamba Juice ads, it was a styrofoam fruit smoothie cup. Oh, wow. <laughs> 
Was like the background imagery like from an actual Tonker or was it like inspired by? Inspired by. Okay. So I saw that and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, you just got to be kidding me. Because part of the thing for me at the time was, you know, Tonka paintings are not just like pretty paintings. They're like ritual objects. They're objects that people use. Sacred objects. They're sacred objects. They're objects people use in tantric rituals in order to, you know, help them attain enlightenment. And so you're taking this like very serious, you know, religious object and, you know, turning it into a commodity, turning it into a product, into something that you can sell and promote and use to make more money. Um, so I did the same thing that the person on Facebook did. I wrote to the company. Oh, wow. <laughs> this very indignant email. I was, I was much more you know, angry at the time. Younger and angry. <laughs> um, and I almost immediately got a response. Um, and they said that uh, they had actually been aware of these things. That I, part, of my, part of my email was like, you know, this, this sort of issue of you know, their sacred paintings. And I also, I actually, I think I told them point blank, I was like, you know, how would, what do you think the reaction would have been had you made a new line of smoothies called Resurrection Smoothies and had a, a, a you know, an image of the cross, but, you know, instead of Christ, you have a smoothie on there. Like, you know, you would not do that. <laughs> Clearly, that would be like, in this American context, people would, you know, talk about getting angry. Anyway, <laughs> so the response I got from the company was basically that they said that they had um, been aware that, you know, they were taking um, a Tibetan cultural um, uh, art form, and they were sensitive to um, it's how it was going to look, and so they actually consulted with Tibetan uh, artists, and, and they commissioned a Tibetan artist to actually do the artwork for the posters. Whoa! I was like, whoa, that's really interesting. Um, I think they also sent me a coupon for a free smoothie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, after that, I kind of right? and then after that, I was kind of I kind of let it go, and you know, went all my life. But then several months later, the Tibetan artist himself actually contacted me via email, um, and he wrote this very long email. About about how you know he uh, had been trained for so many years in Tibetan um, Buddhist uh, arts and had you know a mentor and whatnot and saw that his you know he was sort of recognized that his work wasn't like you know it was for an ad campaign but he also saw it as being a, one of the ways that he was trying to help preserve Tibetan culture. Mm-hmm. So I was like, huh. This is really interesting. Like to me, it sort of blurs the line between what we usually do of do us versus them, right? We usually say, "Oh, those big corporate capitalist, you know, guys over there are, are you know, you know, taking Buddhism from us and selling it." Um, and mm-hmm. in this instance, it was like, "Well, huh? Like, not really. Like, there's there was actually a sort of a, a collusion collusion between you know the corporate people and a Tibetan artist." Mm-hmm. Um, who saw his work as being part of his, and I'm, I'm not sure if he said part of his practice, but it was certainly part of his overall sort of, uh, you know, motivation to preserve his culture. So I don't know, it raises lots of questions for me. It's like, can we so easily dismiss commercialization as being something that's, you know, inherently, um, you know, something we should be resist or whatever. Um, it was really, so I, I don't know, whenever I teach these, these, this issue in my classes, I always show this image to my students and I say, you have a copy of oh, it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Um, you See, what you forgot to do was steal the poster. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I found copies of this ad okay. campaign. Oh, cool, cool, cool. It's, very, it's, still, it's very hard to find, but, mm-hmm. but, there's, but I have some images nice. that can... Anyway, I always ask my students, what do you guys think? Does it, you know, uh, is this, you know, I'll show them the image. I'll say, you know, do you think this is wrong or right? And everybody always says, oh, it's totally wrong and people shouldn't do that. They're, you know, misusing Buddhism. And then I say, well, does it change your opinion if you know that the artist was himself a Tibetan Buddhist? Mm-hmm. Um, and the students usually say, it's, it's still wrong. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, nobody really has a good answer of why it's wrong. You know what I mean? Like, what is it about the commercialization 
or the commodification of Buddhism that like bothers us? What is it about that 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 sort of rubs us the wrong way? Mm-hmm. And I'm not. I have some theories, but okay. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I mean, I remember when I first got interested in Buddhism, and it's a big thing to get interested in, right? And yeah. how how do you? What's your entry point? Yeah. Um, how do you feed that interest, maybe, right? And the obvious one is books or, you know, information, mm-hmm. right? Intellectual kind of stuff. Uh, but I remember um, that first summer when I went back to Japan and um, took an intro to Buddhism class, you know, while I was doing a study abroad program during college. And then on my way home, going to finding a little gift shop or something in um, Shimokitazawa or somewhere, not Shimokitazawa, I forget the name, of the, um, somewhere in Tokyo, uh, and it was a neat little store, and they had these um, postcards of Tibetan-style tanka paintings, but by a Japanese artist. But they were really cool. And I remember I bought like eight or nine of them, and that was like a lifeline in a way for me, like this other way to connect with um, Buddhism that for whatever reason I hadn't found elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still have them somewhere. Um, I had them up on my door for years. Um, it's a little different than like, you know, it's not an absolute commodification. It's mm-hmm. it's the artwork is commodified in a way, um, but but you know having some more tangible way to have Buddhism as part of your life or to have some aspect of Buddhism around you, um, I think isn't necessarily a bad thing. Now, a smoothie painting is kind of different, <laughs> but if someone sees that and is like, "Wow, that's really cool!" Like, I feel like I've seen that kind of stuff before, and then makes a connection and. You know, I can see it. I mean, skillful means would be one way to, to yeah, rationalize yeah, yeah. all of this, right? That, um, and that's and that's definitely one of the arguments that I've seen a lot of. I think in the the, the original Facebook post we we're talking about, mm-hmm. there were people sort of hinting at that that it's like, well, maybe it's not the best use of the Buddha image, but if it gets somebody interested in Buddhism, then you know, we've sort of we're beginning a conversation. Right, right, right. Um, and I don't know. So honestly, I feel like that's a stretch, mm-hmm. um, only because I feel like. I think that skillful means gets misunderstood a lot mm-hmm. in these discourses, on these conversations. You know, to me, skillful means is a bodhisattva practice. Mm-hmm. You know, who has skillful means? A bodhisattva does. Mm-hmm. You know, so then, then I think we need to talk about that. Like, what does that mean? You know, if the bodhisattva has skillful means, are we then saying that you know, advertisers are bodhisattvas? You know, maybe I don't know, mm-hmm. but I mean, I think that's like a big. That's a big. It's a big theological kind of, <laughs> you know, big kind of sort of leap to me. So I, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's important to, to, um, at least, be aware of the um, possible motivation not yeah. that we can know yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, but that's the interesting thing about your right. story about the smoothie thing is that you actually found out about the motivation of the right. artist. Right. That's amazing. I mean, that usually doesn't happen. Yeah, and I think that's I think the motivation is really key. Like, what is the motive? Like, what is the motive here? Like, is somebody mm-hmm. selling these shoes with the Buddha on them because they want to help people understand about Buddhism? Uh, you know, probably not. They probably just want to sell some right. shoes, right? And that, that I think they saw is... saw it as art. Right. And, and they wanted to put art on right. a shoe. And that, to me, I think is really important. The John Bidus thing is weird because clearly John Bidus just wants to sell smoothies. Mm-hmm. You know, but then there's this artist that they bring in who has this other motivation. And that, like, complicates things. Mm-hmm. To me, anyway. I think we need to have a more nuanced view of this stuff mm-hmm. rather than, you know, the quick condemnation or, um, you know, the sort of Buddhist platitudes you often see. Mm-hmm. Don't get me started on platitudes. <laughs> I mean, it'd be inter- I mean, it, it seems like where's is there going to be someone that's going to be able to uh, 
take used commercialization. Mm -hmm. Commodification uh, seems to be like someone using it for different means. I mean, I'm just taking really, like, yeah, so for a corporation says, I want to sell stuff, I'm going to use the Buddha image because it's popular. That to me is different than someone saying, uh huh, people like to buy stuff, let's sell them Buddhist stuff in order to get them interested in Buddhism. And I wonder yeah. if there's anyone like that. Well, yeah, well, I think, uh, to, to me, I think that's the, the sort of, I, I want to use commodification in a more strict sense of okay. saying, I'm going to turn something that isn't inherently a commodity into a commodity, mm -hmm. right? Um, commodifi commodification means turning something into something you can buy and sell, okay. right? So, you know, the slave trade turned human beings into commodities, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think that you can make the argument that an idea like Buddhism um, is not inherently a product, but then somebody comes along and sells it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they turn it into a commodity that they can buy and sell. Um, commercialization is different, I think. Okay. Commercialization, I think, you know, like you were saying, you can, you know, somebody says, oh, people like to buy this kind of stuff, let's sell them Buddhist stuff in order to get them interested in Buddhism. Mm -hmm. um, so it's sort of like using the pre existing market for a religious purpose, right? Like, and, and this, I think, is. Uh, Interesting because I think that most Americans who see this stuff happening in Buddhism are really turned off by it, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, you're not supposed to sell the Dharma. You're not supposed to, you know, this is part of the, the market and it's sort of weird and it's uncomfortable. And, and I don't, you know, I'm not so sure. Like, I think that, um, you know, if we take the long view of Buddhist history, I feel like Buddhists have always been extremely uh, creative in terms of using the existing socioeconomic right, right, models right. of their time in order to propagate the Dharma. Right. Um, you know, there's the, the very easy example I can think of is the transition that Buddhist monks made from India to China. Because in India, there was a pre existing socioeconomic uh, model in place where people could be. Um, wandering monks and not have a home and it was accepted that if a monk came to your town regardless of what religious tradition they came from you know they could ask for food and you would give it to them in exchange for ritual or for teachings or for purification or whatever else or for merit making or karma or whatnot um, and so there was a pre-existing model that supported wandering homeless monks monks go to you know buddhist monks go to china and the chinese are like you are out of your mind what are you doing <laughs> you should be at home with you know a wife and child um, and so the, in China, the monks had to you know, modify the vinaya in order to create a system where they were able to sustain themselves. Specifically, monks in China you know, began to tend fields. There's, mm -hmm. a, there's a line in the vinaya that says monks are not supposed to till, till the soil. Mm -hmm. But monks in China did that because they had to survive, mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. So I think that when we um, so have sort of an absolutist view of what Buddhists are, you know, are right, supposed right. to do, right, right. Um, oh, wow. yeah. we get into trouble. And I don't think that there's... I don't think that it makes sense for us to say Buddhists should not use, you know, the free market in order to propagate the Dharma. Now, maybe they shouldn't, you know, and I think there's a good argument for, you know, lots of good arguments for that. But I just, I want to actually, like, have that conversation instead of, like, just sort of denouncing it as, like, oh, commercialization, commodification, bad, bad, bad. Sometimes totally is. I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, putting the Buddha face on women's lingerie is just seems there's something wrong about that <laughs> but you know at the same time uh, you know i don't know like let's actually like you know have that conversation and uh, historically in buddhism too i think well one aspect is that um even in india um it was often used for protection of the state on mm -hmm. um, the whole thing about chakravartin and the wheel turning king and um that the whole issue of kingship and rulership um buddhism addressed that 
I think from very early on in India, and that worked as it spread out through Asia. It's like one of the most important yeah. people to oh, convince yeah. to convert is the king or the emperor, right? And so Buddhism and tantric Buddhism, but it doesn't even have to be tantric. But the whole idea of um, a lot of the the new ideas, even the idea of pure lands, can be related to territory and to kingship and domain, right? So that that's one issue where um, Buddhism has historically addressed stuff that we nay normally think is that how could that be buddhist buddhists shouldn't do that mm -hmm. no that's they've always done that in order to uh as, as part of the this process right um and then another interesting thing i was thinking well one so one sp split off that is our culture is about money and <laughs> yeah. capitalism uh -huh. and commodification so it would be really interesting if that was the means that someone took yeah. to spread Buddhism. And I think people are already kind of doing it. It's, it's a tricky one because if you address it from that point of view, I think many, many people will be like, this guy's perverting the Dharma. Right. You can't do that, right? And maybe they are. Right. <laughs> I'd want to be really careful with someone that said, you should, do, um, you can be a great Buddhist and be a great capitalist and yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, take advantage know, of people and make lots of money. Yeah. I don't know. I, well, that's I think, what they would say. But I think that there are some people yeah. who... Don't say that exactly, but basically we're doing that. Um, who shall remain nameless? Uh, <laughs> but I also, I think that uh, there's a, a, a really interesting book called Selling Spirituality by um, Richard King and Jeremy Carrot, I think, um, where they argue a lot of things in this book, but one of the things they, one of the, the points that they make in this book is that if um, Buddha, they're, they're talking about religion more generally or spirituality more generally, um, but in, you know, to take our, in our case, Buddhism. If Buddhism um, becomes a commodity or if Buddhism um, uses commercialization in order per, to promote the Dharma, even if the motivations are for you know, Buddhist ends, um, then Buddhism is not in a position to critique that system. Uh -huh. Which I think is a really, I think that's a really interesting argument. You know, if you believe that there is something fundamentally wrong with free market capitalism, for example, mm -hmm. then if you, you know, you know, if you engage free market capitalism and you use that system for Buddhist ends, then you're really not in a position to critique it. Mm -hmm. That you need to sort of be outside of that system in order to attack it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not a hundred percent sure or you know, convinced of that argument. Um, but I think it's a really compelling mm -hmm. argument. And I think that that's, that to me is the most salient issue here. Like a lot of people will say, oh, you know, don't worry about commercialization or commodification, everything's empty. You know, what would the Buddha do? What, you know, that's all fine, whatever. But, you know, I think there's a real a case to be made that there's something fundamentally wrong with our society that has its roots in free market capitalism. And if we don't address those issues, then we can't deal with things like, you know, you know uh, social injustice or poverty or climate change or all these other issues that are really confronting all of us. And so if you just sort of buy into it, um, then you can't, you know, you can't, you know, you can't really critique it. You know, maybe, you know, and I'm not so sure. Like, I think that you can critique free market capitalism and still be a capitalist, but, mm -hmm. uh, but I, you know. I'm, it's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope, and this is, you know, it's, I think it's an important issue to, to really talk about, you know, rather than to sort of, you know, get bogged down and, you know, what would the Buddha do? Well, and I think <laughs> one thing that makes me think of is that um, I do believe that part of um, Buddhism is critical. Yeah. But it's not only critical of in the exterior, like critical of the outside world, but it has to be tied together with critique of oneself too, or um, attempting to critique oneself, right. oneself as well, and be critical of one's own motivation, um, critical of one's own methods, uh, and maybe that's where Shinran. I mean, 
that's an interesting part of Shinran is that he was very critical of his own motivations to the point where he saw that all of his action was ego motivated mm. anything that was his own motivation of whether it was trying to help people or recognizing his own arrogance trying to teach or whatever that he was um, hyper aware of um, how much his own motivation was poisoned by the three poisons right and so uh, I think that uh, the that critique needs to be that kind of two two way mm -hmm. right out out outside but also um, being willing to critique oneself and I, this all makes me think of Japanese Buddhism whether you know because I think Shinran uh, you know one of the phrases that he has that um, the, the Honganji used actually as their slogan for several years was uh, may peace prevail throughout the world mm -hmm. right and this recognition of peace as an important part of the goal of Buddhism yeah. right? and yet Nishi Hongan, or not Nishi, sorry, the Honganji, uh, Shinran's uh, descendants, were by Renyo, and after, they're like one of the largest military organizations. They're like <laughs> the last holdouts against the emperor, I mean, the, um, the shogun, right? And leading up right to the Tokugawa period. So it's kind of interesting where this group, you know, that's founded in the teachings of Shinran, at the same time manages to become a military force. Mm -hmm. Now, part of that was, I think, in opposition to a type of um, uh, rulership that right. was taking right, advantage right. of people, and you know, there's a lot of violence and everything. So, how, you know, can we really judge? I don't know. But um, and then they're thinking again of World War II when you talk about colluding yeah, yeah, with, yeah. Um, you know, that. Uh, <sighs> yeah, it's, it's kind of depressing. <laughs> 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 you wish you want you you wish that the Buddhists would have done things differently in Japan. Sure, you but know, again, you know, period. but uh, at the same time, I yeah. can't judge because Yeah. And again, you know, before we started recording, I, I made we were just sort of talking and I said that thing about there's a difference between religion and theory and religion and practice. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that one of the problems with this the the thing that we, that we all too often do is when we see Buddhists doing things, we're like, "Oh, well that's not what the Buddha said or that's not what Buddha should do or whatever." And I think that there's a, you know, we're making a, a mistake of, of mistaking theory for practice, you know. It's important to know the theory. It's important to know right dharma, right doctrine, you know, what the teachings actually say. It's absolutely important. Um, but that's, you know, that's the theory. And religion happens in practice. Religion is also not just what people believe, but it's what people do. Mm -hmm. you know, and, it's, and you're using practice here not in the sense of Buddhist practice, but more in the sense of what people do. What I just want to do. make that clear. Yeah, I think yeah. it's kind of confusing right, when right. we talk about Buddhism, because Buddhism has its own discourse on practice, right, right. which isn't necessarily what we're talking about. Right. No, I'm meaning practice on a more sociological kind of, mm -hmm. you know, like what people actually do on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's interesting because, like, what you're saying about Shinran, I think this is really, really important, right? It's like, how can we judge, right? Um, if we take Shinran seriously, it's this, you know, sort of serious self-critical reflection on, oh, you know, my own actions are, you know, far from pure. I'm, you know, my own actions are not perfect. So from that place, why would I then, reflecting on my own imperfection, reflecting on my own, you know, karmic burdens, my own, you know, uh, internal poisons by greed, hatred, and delusion. Why would I then, you know, judge harshly other people who are, you know, not living up to some arbitrary standard I've made of what Buddhists should do, right? Like, you know, that's that's really what we're doing, right? We sort of create some arbitrary standard of like, oh, Buddhists should do X. Here I see Buddhists either, you know, contemporary or in, his, in, in the past, you know, not living up to this random standard that I've made. Therefore, they're bad, you know. No, 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 no. Like, again, reflect on your own, like, you know, let that go. Like, uh, reflect on your own particular, uh, your own problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
with with a recognition that we can um, we can be critical. No, I th- and I think you know it's yeah. important to realize we can I said be critical. All that and I was like, no, I'm wrong. Yeah, <laughs> right. No, it's okay. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing this, right? We can be critical, but not exclusively of others. Mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. um, Buddhism need has a balance. Um, ideally, um, and here I'm making platitudes and you know, kind of generalizing. But to me, um, we can be critical of the outside. Maybe we should be critical of the system or yeah. others or certain actions, and yet not without also being critical of, right, of myself right. or, or willing to be critical of my own motivations, understandings, and also um, uh, open and flexible to other possibilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah.